Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Hi there. Angus Farker, executive producer for Witch Video and Podcast here. I'm just jumping in here as we made this episode before the current heatwave hit and it was originally planned to go out next week in anticipation of bank holiday trips to the beach. However, with the temperatures currently soaring again, I thought there's too much important information in this investigation to wait another week before we publish. It does mean there will be a slightly longer wait than usual before the next episode, I'm afraid. We always value your feedback at Witch, so drop me an email to podcasts at witch.co.uk whether you've got a comment on something we've made or a suggestion for the future. Now, I'll pass you back to the very capable hands of Grace Farrell to start the episode. Enjoy. Cast your mind back a few weeks. Back in mid-July, the UK experienced its hottest days on record. The heat was completely unprecedented. We were sleeping in wet towels and buying fans like they were going out of fashion. Many of us headed to the coast, local pools and outside spaces, anywhere to escape the heat. Temperatures that week hit 40.3 degrees in Lincolnshire as the sun beat down like never before. For anyone outside, two things were an absolute must – Firstly, to cover up as much as possible without overheating. And secondly, sunscreen. Here in the UK, sunscreen sales peaked in 2018 as we experienced another roasting summer. Back then, we bought upwards of £300 million worth of it. That's a lot of bottles. But have you ever stopped to think about what's actually in sunscreen? the ingredients and how they work. I mean, why does putting cream on our skin stop it from burning? And have you ever considered that your favorite sunscreen could be damaging the planet? I'm Grace Farrell, and this week's Witch Investigates asks, what do we really know about sunscreen? Investigates is a podcast from the UK's Consumer Champion. We work to make life simpler, fairer and safer for everyone. After two successful seasons, we're back with new episodes every fortnight as we dive deeper into the issues that matter to you. If you've got something you'd like us to investigate, do get in touch. If you're on social media, you can find us at WitchUK or you can email us on podcasts at witch.co.uk. Come 
Coming up, I learn the science behind the substance. If you look at the early sunscreens, they use really simple chemicals, and one of the really early ones was aspirin. But, you know, after it was realised that these things could protect the skin from ultraviolet rays, then, you know, the chemists got onto it and they had a great time. We hear more about the tests we do here at WITCH to assess which sunscreens actually work. We take a panel of volunteers at our laboratory, all with different skin types, so with a range of different skin types, and we apply sun cream to their backs. And then we use UV light to simulate the effects of the sun on someone's skin. And then we measure the time it takes for the skin to turn red. And we speak to experts around the world to discover the impact sunscreens could be having on our fragile ecosystems. We have to bear in mind to consider that these kind of chemicals, the sunscreen ingredients, are directly put on our skin and we use it directly on our skin. And when we do some kind of aquatic activity, we can release them directly in the environment. I'm going to start this episode with a lesson in lexicon. As you'll hear today, rather than saying sun cream, I'll be referring to these products, as I have already, as sunscreen. Because sun cream is just a type of sunscreen. Got it? Great. Now we'll move on to our next lesson. Anyone for science? I'm no chemist me, though I did manage an A in my GCSE. Anywho, for us to learn more about sunscreen and the protection it offers, we need to firstly understand how it works. Thankfully, I've been speaking to people who can explain it a lot better than me, such as this man. Hi, my name's Professor Ian Shaw. I'm Professor of Toxicology at the University of Canterbury in Christchurch, New Zealand. My conversation with Ian was one I had to set a very early alarm for. The sunscreens contain active principles. These active chemicals are the things that absorb ultraviolet light. So when you put them on your skin, the ultraviolet light doesn't get through to your skin. And of course, as you know, ultraviolet light is one of the causative agents of skin cancer like melanoma. Ian's a fascinating guy, and we'll hear plenty more from him in today's episode. I also managed to speak to another expert, one much closer to home. Hi, I'm Neil Rimmer. I'm a senior scientific advisor at WITCH. He spoke to me from his garage, which you may pick up on. There's been a lot of research and a lot of development over decades to use these uh, fundamental properties of these chemicals and minerals to be able to uh, put them in products to help protect you and protect you from the UV rays to help reduce the chance of ever getting melanoma uh, or other skin cancers. Neil was an integral part of recent witch research that scrutinised the claims that certain sunscreen manufacturers were making about their products, such as their ability to protect us from UV rays. Witch tested these sunscreens in a lab, and we'll discuss the rather shocking results shortly. During my chat with Ian, he gave me a history lesson and explained how sunscreen used to be made. If you look at the early sunscreens, they used really simple chemicals, and one of the really early ones was aspirin. We've come a long way since then, though I still use aspirin for headaches, and I actually recently discovered a hack that uses it to get flecks of tissue out of your laundry. But that's for another time. After it was realised that these things could protect the skin from ultraviolet rays, then, you know, the chemists got onto it and they had a great time. Today, most traditional sunscreens use a variety of ingredients, but the most common are oxybenzone, homosalate and octocrylene. 
These act as UV filters, helping to protect you from, yep, UV rays. A UV filter is simply a chemical that has the ability to absorb some part of the sun's UV spectrum. Simple. Hi, my name is Brian Diffie and I'm Emeritus Professor in the Dermatology Department at Newcastle University. Brian Diffie is something of sunscreen royalty. He told me just how far we've come since those early days of sun protection. Since the time when I first got involved, the sunscreens that were available were basically just contained ingredients which more or less just absorbed in the UVB band. There was a little bit of UVA absorption, but nothing very much. Whoa, 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 whoa. UVB? UVA? What's this? There's actually three types of UV rays. There's UVA, UVB and UVC. Now, UVA and B are the ones that you'll, are most common. So we'll start with UVB because it's more commonly known to people. And um, these type of rays actually are the ones that burn you if you're exposed to them for too long. Whilst UVA, they're the most common type of UV light ray and they are capable of penetrating glass. They're, they penetrate deeper into your skin and actually aid you in the process. Thanks, Neil. Now back to Brian. Sorry for interrupting you, by the way, Brian. That It was unusual to find a sunscreen with an SPF higher than 15. We now have sunscreens which provide balanced, broad spectrum protection throughout the UV. And this is expressed by the UVA star rating, which um, I introduced in conjunction with Boots in 1992. I told you Brian was sunscreen royalty. If you've got a bottle of sunscreen handy, take a look at the back. If it was bought in the UK, you'll see that same star rating that Brian created. Back in um, the late 70s, manufacturers were making sort of claims about UVA protection, but they had no means of measuring it. And so I developed this technique for making a very simple measurement of the protection throughout the total UV spectrum. It was a simple test done in a laboratory, took about five minutes. Manufacturers were very keen on this idea and quickly embraced it, but we needed to somehow translate that into some simple display. And so Boots had the idea of using stars. So a one star sunscreen meant it wasn't very good. Two stars was a bit better and so on. And Brian can help us with another acronym that we're likely to find on the sunscreen, SPF. Now turning to the sun protection factor or the SPF, you will find that people often interpret this as how much longer skin covered with sunscreen takes to burn compared with unprotected skin. So if you burn after 10 minutes in the sun, then using a sunscreen labelled with, I don't know, say SPF 15, is taken to mean that you can safely remain in the sun for 10 times 15, which is 150 minutes or two and a half hours before burning. The thing about this definition, though, is that it tends to focus on extending time in the sun. So a better definition might sound like this. Let's say you apply an SPF 15, then this results in UV exposure of just 1 15th of that that you would have received if you hadn't been using any sunscreen. But there's a very, very important proviso to add to all of this. And that statement I've just made is only true if sunscreen is providing protection equivalent to the labelled SPF. But... The point is this rarely happens because most of us who use sunscreen are protected to a much lesser extent than this. 
as what we prefer to do is to apply an amount which is roughly about half of what the manufacturers will use in the testing process in the laboratory. This is something that really interested me. How much sunscreen should we be applying to get the protection we're told we're getting? If you look at the World Health Organization website, it says that we should all use 35 millilitres of sun cream every time we apply it. This is Matt Stevens. He works in the product testing team here at Which. That kind of breaks down to something like seven teaspoons. You're meant to use a teaspoon of sun cream on your face and on both of your arms and on both of your legs and on your front and on your back. And if you do that, you've used enough sun cream. Some quick maths tells me that means I'd get less than six applications out of a 200 milliliter bottle. Surely I can't be the only one who's surprised by that. To find out, we're sending our reporter James to the seaside to see what the public think. So I'm out here on the northeast coast in the town of Tynemouth, funnily enough, at the mouth of the River Tyne, on the hottest day of the year so far. I checked my weather app on my phone and it was registering 35 degrees, so a pretty toasty one. Uh, to the right of me is the seaside, the beach, the North Sea. Uh, to the left of me is the beautiful high street here in Tynemouth. The pavements are starting to get busy it's lunchtime there's plenty of people queuing for fish and chips there is an ice cream van there that i am eyeing up but i'm here to find out what people know about sunscreen and if they know about how much they should actually be applying when the sun is out so let's go and chat to some people and find out how much they know hi yeah we're just asking some people about sunscreen on one of the hottest days of the year are you wearing any today i am yeah i've got my factor 50 on and do you usually wear it when it's pretty hot and sunny like this yeah i try to i'm quite red hair quite and fair skin as well so i really do need to put it on otherwise i burn really easily i don't tan at all so i have to do you have any idea how much you're actually meant to apply uh no but i probably go on the more liberal side of using it just in case uh and and everywhere you can put it really but i've got no idea like in terms of the actual amount so if i told you you were actually meant to apply seven teaspoons does that shock you um i think that's yes yeah, that's a lot more than i would think i think it's difficult to measure how much you have when you put lots of different sprays on but um yeah i think it probably isn't quite that much so i'll, I'll put more on from now on have you applied any sunscreen today no. You haven't? I haven't, no. And do you usually apply sunscreen when it's, you know, hot and sunny? Um, I try to, but, I mean, only if I know that I'm going to be out for the day, I'll apply it. And when you do, do you have any idea about how much sunscreen you're meant to actually apply? I don't know. So if I told you you're meant to apply seven teaspoons? I just put a light layer on, normally. So if you've got say a 200 milliliter bottle at home that's not even going to give you about six or seven applications it's not going to last you maybe for a week or a weekend is that a bit of a shock yeah really big shock yeah hello are you enjoying the hot weather today it's a bit too hot have you applied any sunscreen yes now when you did did you have any idea about how much you're actually meant to apply no so say you've got a bottle at home that bottle is only going to last you about six or seven applications. Is that a bit of a surprise? That is a little bit of a shock. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? We got some different perspectives there from some of the beachgoers here in Tynemouth this afternoon, all seeing some different things. 
Some of them were wearing sunscreen, one of them wasn't wearing any, which is a bit of a concern on the hottest day of the year so far. But one thing is clear, I think, in that they were all surprised by something. And I think what that tells us is that we've all got something to learn about sunscreen, whether that's about how much we should be putting on or that the bottle we bought at the shop at the weekend doesn't last quite as long as we first thought it would. But now, I mentioned that ice cream van earlier on. I think it's time for me to head over there and get myself a 99. Thanks, James. It's nice to hear him out and about by the seaside. Which brings us to our next topic, the potential impact of sunscreen on our oceans. Stay tuned after this. Hello, I'm Lucia, the host of the Witch Money podcast. Each week, we're here with the very best advice to help you through the cost of living crisis and make your money go further. With new episodes out every Friday, we cover everything from energy bills to pensions and property to help you get the best deals and ensure you're not getting ripped off. Just search Witch Money wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Witch Investigates, we're asking how much you really know about sunscreen. The benefits of using it are clear. We've already heard how it can protect the skin against melanoma, which is the most common kind of skin cancer. Though, as we also learned a few minutes ago, lots of us don't realise just how much of the stuff we should be using to get the protection it says on the bottle. And there are concerns that sunscreen isn't all goodness and light. The main concerns with sun cream, other than the main health risks protecting you from the sun, is actually an environmental effect. Um, there's growing evidence in the scientific industry that the ingredients from chemical sun creams are damaging the environment, especially coral reefs. And as a result, certain ingredients that are used in sunscreen, such as oxybenzone and oxinoate, are actually being banned from several countries in the world. If you go to places like Hawaii, then you can't buy sunscreens that contain the UV filters, oxybenzone and octinoxate. So the sale of sunscreens containing those compounds has been banned in a number of other areas around the world, usually places that have got lots and lots of beautiful coral and tourism, then they've been banned in, in other places as well. In 2019, National Geographic published an article titled What Sunscreens Are Best For You and The Planet? In it, they describe the impact some researchers believe sunscreens are having, particularly to coral. Their research suggested 14,000 tonnes of sunscreen are thought to wash into the oceans each year. But why is that a problem? We spoke to Sylvia Diaz-Cruz, an expert on the relationship between sunscreen and marine life. She spoke to me from her office in Barcelona. This kind of chemicals, the sunscreen ingredients, are directly put on our skin and we use it directly on our skin. And when we do some kind of aquatic activity, we can release them directly in the environment. The point is that uh, maybe 1,000 of people can go in the morning in one beach, for instance, and the quantity that you can put, considering that you have to put it again between several times and after you bathe and so on, then during one morning, maybe you can have there around 50 kilos of uh, UV filters. To get more on this, I went back to Ian Shaw in New Zealand. 
And what he told me was pretty unexpected. I'm not an expert in this particular aspect of the work, but I'm an expert in the effects of chemicals that mimic estrogens on the environment, and these are chemicals that mimic estrogens, but I'm not a specific expert in these chemicals. You heard that right. That's estrogen, the hormone that regulates many key functions in women's bodies. So what I've done, I've actually gone into the literature, had a really close look at it, and tried to assess it from my perspective of understanding how things interact. And there's been a lot of work carried out. There's a lot of controversy in the literature. One scientist says this, another scientist says something different. And that's normal. This is what you'd expect when a new field is being developed and new investigations being carried out. But there's definitely a consensus beginning to develop. And that consensus is that these chemicals do have an effect on developing creatures. So if I can just unpick that a bit, the experiments that have shown they have effects on growing organisms have been carried out on all sorts of creatures, actually. But the most important are the polyps from corals. And they can be cultured in culture vessels in laboratories, and they can be exposed to different concentrations of the chemicals that are used in sunscreens. And what you see if you expose them to a particular concentration is called the EC50, a particular concentration, you get changes in the way these creatures grow and develop. If you expose them to huge concentrations, they drop dead. Ian told me that because these chemicals in sunscreen have the same makeup as oestrogen and therefore mimic its qualities, exposure to them can change the way these organisms grow. I did tell you at the start of this episode that you were in for a science lesson. But listen to what Ian says next. But those huge concentrations are not realistic in terms of the environment. So if you put two and two together here, we know that they have an effect on the growth and development of coral polyps. And we know that they're present at the concentrations in the environment that cause those effects in a test tube. But the question is, do the environmental concentrations cause the effects? And the answer is, we don't know. As US Group Consumer Reports reported earlier this year, and as Ian alluded to, the majority of the research looking at the harmful effects of sunscreen ingredients on aquatic life has been done in a lab, and lab studies can only tell part of the story. At the time of this recording, the evidence of sunscreen's impacts on marine life, especially on coral, can't be classified as conclusive. But Sylvia also told me about another study she'd worked on. The point is that uh, we have analysed several human um, tissues, and in my case, uh, working in collaboration with a very important hospital in Barcelona, it's for children and for mothers, and we have found that placenta accumulated some of these compounds. But also in the breast milk, we found there. Because the UV filters in these traditional sunscreens work by being absorbed into our skin tissue in the same way that they're absorbed by coral, some scientists, like Sylvia, have reported that these compounds can enter the bloodstream. So, should we be concerned? Adam Friedman, chairman of dermatology at George Washington University, was quoted by the news agency Reuters saying this. Just because it's in the blood doesn't mean that it's not safe. It doesn't mean it's safe either. The answer is, we don't know. This is something the US Food and Drug Administration is looking into. But in the meantime, they've reiterated that sunscreens are safe for public use. Here in the UK, the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs also told us that it has a system in place to screen for chemical UV filters and other sunscreen ingredients to monitor any impact they have on the environment and our health.
On today's episode of Witch Investigates, we've heard plenty on the importance of using sunscreen. We've learnt how it protects us from melanoma, if it's applied liberally enough. But as we've seen, that's not without its drawbacks, especially when it comes to the environment. Then there's another type of product on the market that we haven't really spoken about yet, mineral sunscreen. Mineral sunscreens use minerals to block the sun from reaching your skin. So unlike the more famous brands that you'll see in the high street that we're all aware of, which use chemicals as UV filters to break down the sun's rays, a mineral sunscreen will use minerals such as zinc oxide or titanium dioxide to act as a barrier on top of your skin. And that barrier filters the sun and stops it from getting in your skin. So the mineral and chemical sunscreens, they do the same job, but in different ways. They're not completely chemical-free, though. And that's why Brian isn't a big fan of how certain sunscreens are labelled. Mineral and chemical, or chemical and physical, should never be used because all sunscreens contain chemicals. The correct distinction is to talk about inorganic or organic UV filters. Brian does have a point, and he is a world-leading expert on this stuff, so we're not going to argue with him. But for the sake of simplicity, we'll be referring to these sunscreens as mineral and chemical, as that's what you tend to see in the shops. And Matt will explain how they both work. So a chemical sunscreen will be rubbed into your skin and the chemicals then absorb the sun's rays or absorb the UV and break it down. Whereas a mineral sunscreen will sit on top of your skin as a barrier and that will filter the sun that way and kind of reflect the rays away. And that's kind of the way that they work. So there's two ways of doing the same job. So what's the deal with mineral sunscreens? They're pretty pricey, but people are drawn to them because of claims that they're natural or reef safe, and they can also be better for sensitive skin. But, and here's an important question, do they actually offer the protection they claim? Once a year, we test a selection of sun creams from major manufacturers And also this year, we've tested a bunch of sun creams that are mineral-based to see how they stand up and how they compare to more famous brands that we're all aware of. We've been doing this for many years now. How we research it is by looking at how they deliver on their performance, as in determining the sun protection factor, also known as SPF, which is protection against UVB rays, as well as looking at how they perform at protecting you against UVA rays. I asked Matt to tell us more about the testing process. We take a panel of volunteers at our laboratory, all with different skin types, so with a range of different skin types, and we apply sun cream to their backs. And we do it according to the sun cream standards, so we follow the internationally recognised way of testing sun cream on people. We apply the sun cream to their backs, and then we use UV light to simulate the effects of the sun on someone's skin and then we measure the time it takes for the skin to turn red. If I'm honest, I'm not sure I'd want the job of applying sunscreen to a stranger's back, but someone's got to do it. In our investigation, we tested both chemical and mineral sunscreens, and the results for the latter were pretty concerning. We've tested six mineral sunscreens, and each one of them failed our test. They either failed to provide enough SPF... All the products we tested were SPF 30, and a number of those products failed to deliver SPF 30 in our tests. 
Some of them could only muster two thirds of SPF 30. And when they failed our test, we tested them again. We tested a different sample of them and they again failed our tests. Other products might have passed our SPF test but failed to provide enough UVA protection and a whole bunch of them failed both of the tests. So we're a bit concerned about this and we've made the mineral sunscreens that failed our test don't buy on our site. It's a pretty damning set of results. And I should say here that we weren't the only ones with these findings. Other consumer organisations have had similar outcomes. The Witch product testing team also wanted me to reiterate that we buy several samples and do a repeat test on a fresh bottle if a product fails to confirm the result. You can find the full list of Don't Buy Mineral Sunscreens on the Witch website, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It is of course only fair that we hear what the manufacturers of these sunscreens had to say when we shared their results. Here's one of our journalists with some of their responses. Clinique told us it has conducted external standard testing which supports its SPF claims and meets EU guidelines for UVA. They stated that all our products are subjected to rigorous testing. We guarantee our claims are clinically valid. Eadwell, the manufacturer of Hawaiian Tropic Mineral Protective Sun Lotion, told us it firmly disagrees with the testing results obtained by which. Green People said it's puzzled why the mean measured UVA PF fell below the level recommended by the EU and that it was in the process of investigating further. After retesting its product, Tropic told us the safety of our customers is and has always been our number one priority. On receiving Witch's results, we disagreed entirely with their findings. They went further, saying that our Skinshade SPF 30 had been tested multiple times, with the last test conducted in August 2021, achieving an SPF rating of 32.5. In the interest of complete peace of mind for our customers, we have now tested the same batch of Skinshade SPF 30 Witch tested with two external independent SIO accredited labs, receiving results of SPF 32.3 and SPF 31. Alba Botanica didn't respond to our request for comment. Here at which we stand by our results. We carried out our research in an independent lab to agree British and international test standards. When we test sunscreen, as well as looking at the protection it offers, we also get a diverse panel of at least 10 people to rate each one on how easy it is to apply, how well it absorbs, the smell, residue and any tackiness or greasiness. And the products remain unlabeled throughout the process. Now, the lack of adequate sun protection that we're seeing in some mineral sunscreens, this isn't the first claim that which has debunked. We've got some bad news about water-resistant sunscreens as well. Here's what we found when we did a similar test back in 2018. There were two things that came out of that test. One, we don't think you should necessarily trust sun creams that say they're water-resistant. We think you should still reapply in the normal way. And the second thing, we thought that the water-resistance test was a bit too easy. And we had a look into it, and the water-resistance test was with still water that's not moving, and so we thought that a more realistic test would be to test with salt water, like in, in the sea, or chlorinated water, or moving water, and those kind of things, which are all likely to have a greater effect on the sun cream on your skin than just still water in a bath, as it were. And so in our test, we found that the SPF provided was significantly reduced for some of the sunscreens that we tested. So if you're heading to the beach or the pool this bank holiday, it's best to reapply after you've taken a dip, regardless of the sunscreen you're wearing. 
It's safe to say I've learned a lot from this week's episode, and I'll definitely be reassessing how I choose and use sunscreen. Today's investigation aside, though, do we know enough about the dangers of UV exposure? It feels like we've got a long way to go. Research carried out by pharmaceutical company Medino earlier this year found that 77% of respondents over the age of 18 don't wear sunscreen when they're in the UK. I kind of liken it to people and smartphones. Everyone knows how to use a smartphone, but no one knows everything you can get out of your smartphone. And I think with sun cream, it's a similar thing. I think the interesting thing for me is that I'm not sure that people are completely aware of the need to wear sun cream when we're back at home in the UK. I asked Professor Ian Shaw how things compare in his adopted homeland of New Zealand. The campaigns in New Zealand and in Australia, I mean, there'll be television adverts, there'll be posters everywhere. Most pharmacists that you go into will have a huge display of sunscreens. The SPF values are well displayed and they're listed underneath the SPFs. And even on the some weather forecast, the television weather forecast, for example, they will tell you how long it's safe to stay out in the sun without sunscreen. Admittedly, it's a scientific fact that the sun's UV is more damaging in that part of the world. We can thank the hole we made in the ozone layer for that one. But it's clear sunscreen needs to become a bigger part of our routine here in the UK too. Absolutely, we need to protect from the sun. And uh, this is not only the way of uh, using sunscreen creams, lotions and so on. We have to be a little bit more responsible with our acts and with our daily way of life. And if we do make smarter choices and take the advice we've heard today on board, it's only right that we get the protection that it says on the label. The main thing we need to do is protect ourselves. That's the thing. So buying a sunscreen that provides you with the right level of protection and reapplying regularly is what you need to do. Sunscreen is great, but we can't completely rely on it. Good sun safety, including seeking shade, covering up where possible, wearing a hat and sunglasses, are also important. Something to bear in mind if the sun does come out this bank holiday. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another brand new episode. We've got new content going live every day on witch.co.uk and you can also sign up for our free email newsletters. They're packed with advice about money saving, being a more sustainable consumer and getting the most out of your home. If you haven't already, then please do share this episode and our podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. And we'd be really grateful if you could give us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening as it makes us more discoverable to other people. Oh, and don't forget to check out our other podcasts as well. Just search for Which Money and Which Shorts wherever you're listening. Today's episode was presented by me, Grace Farrell, written and produced by Rob Lilly, editing and original music is by Eric Breer, and our executive producer is Angus Farker. Special thanks this week go to Jess Carson, Matt Stevens, Neil Rimmer, and the rest of the team here at Witch. And I'll be back soon for our next investigation. <laughs>